right. With your Bible, let's turn in your Bible. Let's begin in Genesis chapter number one. How you know that's pastor's favorite? Favorite, favorite book is Genesis chapter number one. And for those who've been here for a minute, what do we always say? That everything is found in what? Genesis chapters one, two, and three. And so I think it's important that we always remind you of that importance. I want to talk to you today as you turn to Genesis chapter 1, looking at verses 26 to verse 31. Is one of the most important things that you have to make a priority is to hear the heart of God. It is to hear... The heart of God, God's will for your life. I want you to write that down. Write it down. God, I want to know your heart. God, I want to know your heart. The number one thing is to know the heart of God, which contains the will of God for your life. Those join us online. It is very, very important that we understand that. Please allow me, as we read Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 31, to make a few comments that for some of you, you've heard these before, but I believe it's worth saying, and it helps me to get to where we want to go with our message today. I'm going to give you two titles, and you can pick the one that you want to write down. We're going to first look at doing life together, and then the second one is the message life together a message to the church. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 from the English Standard Version. And it begins, And then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock, And over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his what? In his own image. In the image of God, he created him. How? Male and female, he created them. Now, this was before the fall, right? This was God given the revelation as he does to Moses, and he wants to make sure that we're clear on God's heart. And so he states that he made them male and female for purpose. Someone say purpose. Come on, say purpose. And so the late Dr. Miles Monroe said, if you don't know the purpose of a thing, you will abuse it. Come on. And if we don't know the purpose of humanity, then we will never be able to understand the heart of God and God's will for humanity. And so even Jesus in Mark, he quotes this when they asked him the question about relationships. And so Jesus then quotes this particular text and even the Apostle Paul as well. So it begs one or it causes one then to understand the significance of the statement That even Jesus and the Apostle Paul thought it was important that we understand the genesis, the origin 
of man and woman. Not only did he create them in his image and likeness, verse 28, this is where we ought to shout, and God blessed them. He empowered them. He gave them not just purpose, but he also gave them um, this empowerment to function. And then God said to them, be fruitful and do what? And multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. What an amazing God and his provision. And to every beast on the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. We see the nourishment. And it was so. And verse 31, I love it. And God saw everything that he had made. Let's park it right there. And what did God see? He saw everything that what? He had made. And behold, it was what? Very good. And there was evening, there was more on the sixth day. The sixth day. I remember when I first walked through these doors, and we sat right there, my wife and I and our family. And Teresa, Pastor Teresa came up and she made a statement that still rings so true in my ears. And she made a statement, says, everything about God is redemptive. Everything about God is redemptive. And that word means everything about God being redemptive would mean that God is always has and always will be saving people. That God's heart is that none should perish, but that all should come unto repentance. And so I've looked at that and I realized that, that in every relationship then is really about God saving us from evil. God saving us from ourselves. God saving us from the choices that we make, decisions that we make that doesn't honor him. What an amazing God that we serve, people. That he's always saving us. He saves us from sickness and disease. He saves us from everything because that's just the type of God that he is. But how does it really work? How does this redemptive relationship and this word I'm using it and this understanding of God redeems, he purchased back, he bought back. Because when God orders a thing, according to Isaiah 14, when God plans a thing, it must come to pass. One theologian says that it's not always everything that God decrees, but when he does decree a thing, it has to come to pass. Let me explain what I mean by that. It means that you, you and I have a responsibility to make wise decisions. But there are certain places, there are certain times in your life where God is just going to decree a thing whether you like it or not. I'll preach over here because that, that's an exciting thing. That there comes a time when God who sits on his throne looks over the children of men and recognizes if I don't intervene into this particular situation, you're going to give the devil a stronghold. You're going to give the devil a foothold. So God decrees a thing. 
and says, devil, you can't mess with this right here. This right here is what I'm decreeing. Mm, come on, come on, somebody. And, and it benefits us to recognize when God decrees a thing, when God blesses a thing, no one can curse what God has blessed. Balaam tried to curse the people of God. They gave him money. They gave him promotion. They said all sorts of things, Balaam, will belong to you. Balak was saying, I will give you all the resources I have. And he had to come back over and over and over and over again. It says, you can't curse what God has blessed. You can't, you can't touch it. You can't do it. You can try to slow him down, but you can't touch it. And so when I think about it and I understand uh, that it is then for me to be able to look at God's salvation as something that he has decreed because of his original thought that we just read in Genesis chapter 1. That God has declared that this is how things are supposed to be. This is how you're supposed to do life together. You're supposed to do life together first and foremost with me. In the mind of God, in the heart of God, in the will of God for your life and for my life. More than any other relationship, the number one relationship that we must treasure is a relationship of doing life together with God. He decreed it. He declared it. We just read in Genesis chapter 1 that if we're doing anything without God, it's a waste of your labor. Come on. Mm-hmm. And so it's important then that we understand that the reason why we can do relationship with God is because of his redemptive work. Is that he redeemed us. That he initiated it. And so once we understand that, once we come and we get a hold of that and, and we see that that is the reality, then it makes us, ready, write this down, have to seek theology then. When we understand the reality that we can't do life without him because he initiates the relationship with us, it causes us then to go and to understand theology, which is really the study of God. For if I'm to do relationship with him, I must understand then what he did to redeem me. Are you with me so far? That this relationship with God is redeemed and it's being restored. Hallelujah. Mm-hmm. And so then the question that we must ask is how does it first work spiritually? And that's why I mentioned this whole concept of having and understanding theologically. First, how does it work then for the glory of God? How does having a relationship with God, first spiritually, how does it work for the glory of God? Well, when we first came here, the first thing I had to do for the glory of God in order to understand God's work in this city was God reminded me, Ro, don't come with your vision. I already have a vision for this city. That's the first thing. For God to get the glory, it's got to come from a place of where I understand that God has a vision for this city because God has purposed Marion and the surrounding cities to fulfill a certain assignment, a certain decree. 
And so he said, the thing you must do then is you must understand my heart. You must understand that all that we do must be for the glory of God. There's a powerful quote, A.W. Tozer says this, that if the Holy Spirit left the church, we would still do 95% of things that we do and we would even know the difference. That we have come in with man-made structures and we're so great at it that we function and not even understanding that we don't even know the difference between the Holy Spirit being here. And the Holy Spirit being absent. And that's because what we have done is we've taken the glory from God unto ourselves. And so what we must do first and foremost then is understanding this. To do life together with God, we must understand something called the glory of God. The glory of God. That our entire life must be about that. God, are you getting glory from this? God is your name being exalted in what I'm doing. And what he said was this, that he will build his church. And so we spent the last couple of weeks, perhaps the last two months, looking at the importance of making decisions that are based on a foundation of choice. Let me recap just a little bit. Because if we want God to get the glory, someone say, God, get the glory. We must understand not just the freedom of choice. We must understand the foundation of choice. We must understand that. Because the foundation of choice is different from the freedom of choice. Pastor, you're just playing with words. No, I'm not. Because when you understand the reality of us making decisions, if we don't understand the foundation of choice that's found in Christ or that's found in the decree of God, What we will do then is we will rob God of the glory. (laughs) So the foundation of choice begins by understanding that it was God who initiates our, initiated our redemption. It's God who initiates our salvation. It is God who chose us first and not we ourselves. I want to pause there for a minute. It is God who is doing a great work in the earth. Come on. It is God who's moving throughout the land, seeking those who will worship and serve him. And so as we look at this, then we must understand first and foremost, as I look over my life, is my life giving God glory? Is all that I'm doing giving God glory? So with this foundation of choice, the first thing I choose then is to say, God, I choose you. And so I choose then that my life will bring you glory. That my life then will be a reflection of what you are doing. And so therefore, from the foundation of choice, we now recognize that Christ is the cornerstone, that we understand that whatever we're building must be built upon Christ being the cornerstone. The cornerstone. I want to remind us again that the enemy is not directly going after the family. The enemy is not directly going after marriage. 
The enemy is strategic in what he does. The enemy is going after Christ. You got to understand that this is sound theology. Because you will spend time defending those cornerstones which are vital. But the enemy will take away the very cornerstone itself which is Christ. In other words, it will make us believe that we can live our life without Jesus. Come on. And so the enemy is after Christ. That's who he hates. Because if we build our marriage, our family, our finance on Christ, it will stand because it will bring God glory. Are you following me so far? So doing life together is vital that we understand that Christ is the cornerstone. And that is where I'm building my life upon. So in my three decades of walking with Jesus, and especially these last five years as pastor, I'm 100% convinced, I'm 100% in confidence that doing life together is the will of God. That all healthy relationships must first and foremost be redemptive. Come on. That healthy relationships are based upon the foundation of choice. Christ is the cornerstone. And because Christ is the cornerstone of our salvation, we understand now that this relationship must bring God glory, honor, and praise. That's the first and foremost that we have to look at. Is is this relationship honoring God? If it is not, if it is not, it will not meet the standard of biblically of what it means doing life together. I'm not saying you can't have similar interests. Come on. I'm not saying you can't have things that you like. But I'm here to tell you if it's going to last, if the relationship is going to withstand the onslaught of the enemy and society and all that's happening, if it is not built on the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, it is not going to last. So you follow me so far. It is vital then that we take this time before the year is over and assess every relationship that we have and make sure they are healthy. Do not enter 2022 without looking over your life and saying, God, I want healthy relationship. Write that down. God, I want healthy relationships. Healthy relationships then have three things. Here are the three things, and we're going to be looking at these. Here are the three things then. Number one, the attributes of God. Number one, the attributes of God. Let's take a look at Romans chapter 1, verse 19 to verse 20. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1, verse 19 to verse 20. So we're looking at healthy relationships as we try to navigate them. First thing we see is the importance of the attributes of God. And so Paul is writing, and he begins, and he says this to them in verse 19. 
For what can be known about God is plain to them. Why? Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, right there, verse 20. Namely, his what? Eternal power and what? Divine nature has been clearly perceived ever since the what? Creation of the world. Go back to Genesis again. Paul is speaking to this particular believer, believers in Rome. And he wants them to understand this truth that he brings them back to its Genesis. And he says that the, the invisible attributes, and he names them God's eternal power and what? His divine nature has been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that has been made. Why? So that we are without excuse. So he begins and he says, listen, in this relationship, and we talk about you have to have a relationship first with God. He wants them to understand this first and foremost, that we must understand God's attributes. God's attributes. And one of those, not just his eternal power, but one of those that we're going to investigate as we progress is God's love for humanity. It is so important that we understand God's love and his divine nature of love. It has been butchered, this word love. It has been abused. It has been put through the ringer. It has been absolutely messed up that when you say the word love nowadays, you got to be careful and you got to define what it really is. And so when you tell someone that you love them or when you hear this word, it can mean all sorts of things. And so even in this context of Roman, we're going to see how they didn't understand God's attributes and how you progress through the rest of the verse that we're going to see that if they didn't get this right, if they didn't get the attribute of God correctly, his eternal power, his divine nature, his, his, his ability to love, his ability that he is love. If they didn't get that right, we're going to see that it's going to be dangerous. Amen, somebody. So as a healthy church, we must define love according to God's word. Come on, somebody. That if we're going to do life together, we must understand that this word love must be understood. And we must defend it to the core. We must defend God's love to the core of who God is. We can't allow people to take this word love and run with it and not having a full understanding of what love really is. Are you with me so far? No matter where I try to move, God brings me right back to his love again. I try to move on and God brings me right back to his attribute of love. He brings me right back to understand this. He says, listen, everything about the scriptures is about God's love. Right from the beginning of Genesis all the way to Revelation is woven, is, is all about God's love. Are you with me so far? Is that in God's judgment, there is love. In God's mercy, there is love. In God's healing, there is love. In God's raising people who are sick, it's God's love. Every time God moves, it's love. Come on, somebody. God is love. 
And so to do life together, it's demonstrated because when people move about us, they recognize that there is something within the scope. There's something about these people. And what it is is that it is love. So when they walk in a church service, come on, and no matter what lies the enemy is trying to tell them, by the time they leave, they experience a divine love that they have to wonder and say, oh, my goodness, I've never been loved like this before. God's love is so important. That's the attribute of God. Uh, The second thing that we have to look at is our attitude towards God. Our attitude towards God. He ends in this verse and he says, so they are without excuse. That's what he says. He says, nobody has any excuse whatsoever. He says, how do you see God, that God so loved the world, come on, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes him shall, what, not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So it's not just looking at God's attributes of his love. It is my attitude towards God. Are there questions that I have about God? Yes. Are there some times where I have doubts? Yes. But one thing that I will not allow the enemy to do is to, is, 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 is to cause those doubts and those questions to change who God is. To, to change who God is and according to his word. God's word is the final authority. So what I have to do is my attitude must come in alignment with the attributes of God. God's character needs to be first and foremost. If I'm going to do life together, if we're going to do life together with God, it's got to get to a place of where his attributes and my attitude are in alignment to God's word. In talking to people, and I ask some questions. And if you hang around long enough, you realize, mm, there's something, there's something that's missing. There's something there. There is, there is something that is, that, that is, there's something that's missing. There's an attitude towards God. There is, whether it's a blame or, or, or whether there is a, a misunderstanding. And trust me, life gives you a smorgasbord. Come on. Life will give you so many things to choose from you can use to hate God. The enemy is not short of giving you things to hate God about. Come on. That he'll give you a bunch of things says, look at what God did and look at what God is not doing and, and look what somebody else did and, and all these different things. And it, it exists. Why? Because the enemy doesn't want you to have the right attitude towards God. And what is that attitude towards God? It's worship. It's worship. Um, I hate not feeling well. I mean, I'm the worst patient. Come on, I hate it. And especially when you're going through challenges and, and your mind is sitting there and you're, you're seeking God and, and you're asking God. And so throughout the entire week and a half, two weeks, 
I have to continue to remind myself that it's not about how I feel. It's about God and who God is. Come on. Amen, somebody. It's, it's, it's because, see, see, an, an anxiety attack will come to separate my attitude towards God and God's attributes. And so I have to remind myself, no, God is God and God will always be God. Come on, somebody. And so I have to make sure my attitude is in alignment with God's attribute of who he is. He is healer whether I feel like it or not. Woo, come on, somebody. He is the redeemer whether I feel like it or not. Corporate gathering is part of God's design whether I like it or not. Come on, somebody. Uh-huh, you see, you see, it doesn't take a lot to, to mess with people's attitudes. It doesn't take a lot. But doing life together, it's going to require that. And so we see that Paul was, was writing as he continues on. He then gives people's attitude towards God. That in Romans, if you continue to read that particular chapter, it's a great chapter to read, by the way, because it deals with some of the things that society would count as hate. You know what I mean? It deals with some of the behaviors that we don't, we just cut Romans one out because we don't like it. But it's not because of God's attributes. It's our attitude towards God. That's what Paul was saying. Paul was saying, listen, the same God who sent his son to die for your sins, Paul was explaining how that actually works. And he's saying that this particular attitude is contrary to God's attributes. And so he's saying, listen, if you continue down this path, you're going to receive the judgment from God. So Paul is pleading with them. And saying, listen, I explained to you the attributes of God. Let's make sure your attitude lines up with what God's word says about who he is. And so it's a difficult chapter to read if you're reading it with an attitude. Come on. It's a difficult chapter to read if you don't understand the attributes of God. Because here's what it's really saying. It's saying that morality begins with theology. Come on. i say it again. He's saying that what is the lifestyle that is being lived out. He's saying that the judgment of God, the wrath of God is being poured out. Why? Because you don't have solid theology. You don't understand God. And he said, when you understand God, you have no excuse but to worship him. Listen, every demon, every devil is going to worship God. Every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I don't care what political party. I don't care what nation you live in. Come on. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every demon and every devil, every virus and every sickness, every cancer and everything that tries to ail the body of Christ, it must bow down to Jesus. Paul writes, I know whom I believe and I'm persuaded. He's able to keep me against that. So what should the attitude of the church be? We're going to praise God in every situation. We're going to praise God in every circumstance. We're going to praise God when I got the answer. And we're going to praise God when I'm waiting for the answer. And I'm going to praise God when I don't like the answer. Come on, somebody. We're going to praise God in every situation. Because he's worthy to be praised. 
Yes, thank you, Holy Ghost, for giving me strength. Come on, somebody. Thank you, Jesus, for giving me strength. We got to take a praise break. I'm going to praise him while I wait for the answer. I'm going to praise him when I don't know the answer. And I'm going to praise him when I don't like the answer. But I'm going to praise him. I'm going to praise him. I'm not going to disconnect. Come on, somebody. I'm not going to let the devil talk me out of my salvation. I'm not going to allow the enemy to, 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 to say things, come on, that are, that are not true. Come on, the devil is a liar. Let God be true and every other man a liar. The attributes of God leads to our attitude towards God. And finally, our actions towards others. Our actions towards others. Our actions towards others. And it's right here where we get to this place now. Where I'm going to leave you with three things on how to discern a healthy relationship. I've used these pretty much 30 years of my life walking with Jesus. Serving other pastors serving my wife and my children. I'm going to give you a secret to how Pastor Roe has lived his life. Is that okay? I'm going to give you the secret. After all these things, just here's what I do. Now, first, I love people. I really do. And there's a grace on my life to pastor. If the grace is not in your life, don't even try doing this. You will lose your mind. People walk in and out of your life with ease. With ease. That they walk in and there's a certain expectation as a pastor. And as a pastor, you don't have some of the freedoms that other people have. And so I thought I knew how to love well. And this year God told me, taught me, love well, bro. Love well. And I'm going to share with you the secret how I deal with conflict as well. Because remember, it's your actions towards others. So the first two, I've got it down pat. God, I'm trying to figure out your attributes. And so the reason why I'm a lover of God's word is because I want to know God. First of all, I want to know God. I have to know God. When I was living in the projects, come on, it was God that rescued me. I got to know God. I'm not kidding you. The people I hang with, the people I grew up with. You had to know God. One of the great basketball players, and I'm a Kenya, before there was LeBron James, there was this guy. Tall, dark, and handsome. Built massive. A basketball genius. I'm talking when you have the Reeboks with the pump shoes. How many of you remember that? You, you'd pump them. He and I on the same basketball team. A phenomenal individual. Love him to death. I would eat at his house, he would eat at my house. See, see, when you grew up in the projects, who's ever, who's, whoever mom made dinner, that's where, and then wherever you were, that's where you ate. So if it was at my house and they were there, they would eat. And so you made a big pot of food for everybody. And I remember, I remember the moment where um, choices were being made. And this individual made a choice to, to, to live a life of just danger, of, 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 of doing things that were just not healthy, if you can read what I'm saying. 
um, breaking the law and different things of that nature. And I remember when I remember when I saw him, and, and I was on Facebook Live, but I remember the day when, when he ran into my house, had this bag full of money, at least uh, maybe 20000 Just and We're talking way back then, so that was a lot of money. And I just remember watching as, as he was just running and saying, Ro, I just need to rest, man. I'm just, you know, I just need to rest. I remember his stereo in his car can pay for my entire vehicle. <laughs> That's how things were. And I was like, my goodness. And God got a hold of my heart at the age of 18. And I knew that to walk away from that would require more than my own willpower. I didn't have it in me to walk away from something like that. I don't know about you, but God is the one that rescued me from everything. Because I don't have the willpower to walk away from sin. Come on, somebody. You feel me? The day you think you have the strength to walk away from sin is the day you're in trouble. You're actually in bondage. It's God is the one that delivered me from that. And so I've got to be in his word, and I love his word because it's what keeps me free. Come on. And you've got to be a lover of God's word because I realized I was one decision away from being just like that. But thanks be to God for his word. It was the Gideon read New Testament Psalms Bible that fit in my back pocket. That I would read when I was in high school. Didn't understand a clue what I was reading. But I knew that God was doing something in my life. And so from that time all the way to this time, I'm going to share with you what I have discovered to be how to do healthy relationships. Once you know the attributes of God and your attitude towards God, this is the action now that you must have when it comes to others. This is how you do life together. Whatever the relationship is, whatever the relationship, this is how I do with Megan. This is how I do the church. This is how I do my children. I actually had to to, to text uh, Lizzie and had to, and had to ask her for forgiveness. Um, she, she was because uh, I was under the weather, and, and she's, you know, uh, asking for stuff. And uh, my attitude just wasn't the best. And I remember when I was going to bed, and God just convicted me and says, mm, that wasn't the best, Ro. It wasn't good at all. And so she's at school, and so I text her. I said, Pineapple, I'm so sorry um, for the way I talked to you. It wasn't the best tone. I'm not saying what you did wasn't, you know, needed to be discussed, but the way I approached it just wasn't, wasn't the best. And when I shared that with her, I recognized that it was really about, again, how do you do life together? This is, this is what's so important, especially if you value a particular relationship. Um, this is the first thing you have to understand. The first thing is, write this down, is this how I approach relationships. I approach them first and foremost with this first thing, is their honor. Is their honor. Have I honored you? I didn't ask if you honored me. The question is, have I honored you? Because remember, there's the attributes 
of God. And then there's my attitude towards God. And so honor is vital as a glue that makes sure that the atmosphere is one where the demonic can't come in, come on, and cause confusion. So the first thing with honor is this, is that I honor who they are, right? I honor who they are. They're made in the image and the likeness of God. Come on. So I go back to Genesis again that I just read that God says he made them in his likeness and his image. So the honor comes from going back to Genesis of doing life together. And so the first thing that we must do then if we're going to do life together is there must be an honoring of that individual, not for who they are necessarily, but for who God is and who God has made them to be. Are you with me so far? I've got to go back to that. I'm not going to ignore their behavior, but I'm not there yet. I've got to go back to honoring them because they're in the made in the image and likeness of God. And the moment I the moment I take my eyes off that, I now move to vengeance as opposed to loving them. So I have to keep my eyes on this God. The first thing I have to do is to honor. I have to show honor. Now, this is scary because I haven't always gotten it right. But the thing that I'm doing is this, is that I'm honoring them because of the reality and the theology that they're made in the image of God. So that's why anybody can come inside this four walls, these four walls, and they're going to be honored. Why? Because we're going to honor the reality, the theology that you're made in the likeness and the image of God. Come. That's what we're going to, we don't want to give the enemy any room. We don't want him to come and think, my sin is so bad. We want him to come and say, look, they're judgmental. Well, the first thing we want to do is this. We want to honor you because you're made in the likeness and the image of God. Confused, but in the likeness and image of God. Conflicted, but in the image of God. Come on, come on. Struggling, but in the image of God. Challenged, but in the image of God. No matter what it is, you're made in the likeness and the image of God. We're going to deal with the confusion. We're going to deal with the challenge. We're going to deal with what's complicated. But I must remain in this truth that I honor you because you're made in the image and the likeness of God. That's the first thing. That's the first thing. And so when we honor, we give room for conversation. We give room then so we can move into this particular place. Well, why do you honor? Why? Because I first and foremost honor God in his attributes. And my attitude towards this is that I want God to honor me. You see, you see, my honoring of you, I've already checked off two boxes. My honoring you is because guess what? I honor God and God honors me. Come on. So I don't start with trying to honor you first. It's impossible. No, 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 no. I first begin by I honor God and God honors me. And so I live a life of honor. Come on. My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? And so I live a life of honoring God. So therefore, I welcome you into the space. Why? Because I honor God and I honor myself. Honor can go a long way, people. Honor can go a long way. The second thing that we have to do then 
is once we honor, is we have to, ready for this? We have to demonstrate humility. We have to demonstrate humility. Turn to Philippians 2, verse 2 and 3, real quick. Philippians chapter 2, verse 2 and 3. So I honor. Before I even make any judgment, I honor. I just, I, I honor. I'm like, God, these, these are your people. They're made in your image and your likeness. They're talking crazy, but I'm going to honor them. Come on, somebody. They come in and out, but I'm still going to honor them. Now, Sunday, next Sunday, I'll get into the practical. How do you, how do you actually walk this out? But I just want to, I just want to lay the groundwork for you to understand this. That, that the first thing is, is honor. And then with honor, the second comes is this, is humility. You have to diffuse. You have to diffuse people. People come loaded. They, they, they come ready to just go off. You know what I'm saying? They're just looking for a trigger word, right? And so you have to come into a place of where there's humility. And so in Philippians 2, verses 2 and 3, here's what Paul writes. He says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Here it is. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than what? Yourself. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others what? More significant than yourself. So the person comes in, and I'm showing honor, right? And so the first thing that I do then, after I do that, is as I realize this, that I'm going to do nothing out of selfish ambition. Now, it's not always easy. It's not easy. But the whole goal of why I'm here doing this is because of this. I want to make sure that the atmosphere is free of any demonic influence. Stay with me. I want to make sure, right? And so in order then to demonstrate humility, I have to then have wisdom. I have to understand what it means then to be wise, right? And so in James chapter 3, James chapter 3, verse 13, I'm going to read it. It says, if you are wise... And understand God's ways. There's God's attribute. He says, prove it by living a honorable life. Doing good works with humility that comes from wisdom. Verse 14 of James chapter 3. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition where? In your heart. Don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Look what it's saying. It's saying here that if we want to diffuse, come on. If we want to make sure that the atmosphere is clean, he's saying this, that, that we want to seek a wisdom that comes through humility, right? And the reason for that is because we can understand that, that any type of jealousy or selfish ambition or anything like that, what you realize is, is it's either earthly, unspiritual, or even worse, demonic. 
For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. And so what this is is saying is, is this to us. When you honor, when you honor, you now set the atmosphere to make sure that you now are not going to have anything that's based on selfish ambition, right? Or conceit or jealousy or anything like that. Why? Because I go back to the attribute of God. God is my source, not you. Come on. That God is the one that I'm honoring. And in doing that, I want to make sure that I'm not living from my flesh or I'm going to be unspiritual or it's going to be demonic. It's going to be demonic. And finally, the third thing as we, as we lay this out, and I'm finished right here, is this. Once we have demonstrated honor, you're made in God's image, God's like this. And there's humility. I want to be of the same mind. I want to be of the same thought. The third thing is now, now we can have an honest conversation. And now we can deal with behavior. Come on. And now we can deal with behavior. And now we can do life together. Do you know how safe it is that when you feel honored and humility has been presented that you can now come and you can have an honest conversation with this individual, with this person. You see, in my in my conversation or in my relations to people, I'm like, we're so close. We're so close. And the thing that is held back is this. You're not being honest with yourself. And you're not being honest with me. You're not being honest with yourself. You're not being honest with me. And so in doing life together, we want to get to a place where it can be so transformational because we get back earlier because God is love and that attribute of love has always been woven through everything that's taken place that we can now look and we can say, this is being honest. I am confused. This is being honest. I'm conflicted. This is being honest. I don't know Jesus. I thought I did, but I don't know who Jesus is. This is being honest, that that what you did hurt me. This is being honest, is that I need help. Are you following me so far? Where we get to a place of where we can totally be honest, we can come before a holy God, and we can say, God, I don't have all the answers, but I know you do. And I want to be honest. That hurt. And I'm going to be honest, I don't know how to figure this thing out. And I'm going to be honest, I'm doubting. And I'm going to be honest, I didn't like the way you reneged on what you just did. I didn't like that. But I'm going to trust God. Come on. Then I'm going to believe that if I can get to a place of being honest, I can be healed. I can be healed. 
with every bowed, every eyes closed. There is so much practical that I want to share with you about those three points. And for the month of November, we're going to dive into them. And what does it really mean to honor one another? What does it really mean to honor God? What does it mean to even honor Christ? We're going to dive into humility. What does it really mean to be a person who's, who is humble? Because God wants to heal us. Come on. I'm putting both of my hands up right now. That God wants to heal us. God wants to heal us. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I see him. I see him healing all over this building, all over this place. This is a month of healing. I declare this is the month of healing. He's healing relationships. He's healing sickness. He's healing. Stretch out your hands, Father, to heal. Because we're going to be honest. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to invite you have that honest conversation with them and say, Jesus, I need you. I don't even know what that looks like, but I need you. Because to do life together, I need you, Jesus.